As many of you, I've looked at the news with great interest as to all the turmoil that's going on in the world. Used to be all we had to worry about was Iraq and Afghanistan and those guys over in Iran who were trying to cook up nukes. Now, of course, there is turmoil in the Ukraine, Venezuela, obviously Syria is in a mess, Egypt, although we don't hear very much about it, all kinds of things taking place there. And if you are like me, you've prayed that peace might come. Peace, I think, is something that's desirable for for most people. We, We want peace, and yet... When we take a look at our world, when we take a look even at our own communities, and to be honest, even in our own household, sometimes peace is hard to find. The mother of that colicky baby who's been awakened, it seems, every morning, one or two, by a child who is screaming and unconsolable, she'd love to have peace. that police officer in his squad car, that firefighter in the station, that EMT worker with the radio on their hip, that 911 operator, if we could just have one night, peace. That soldier on patrol in Afghanistan or hunkered down in the green zone, love to have peace. That six-year-old little girl hiding under her bed as her parents scream at the top of their lungs at one another, prays for peace. Peace is desirable, but elusive. It's like trying to grab a handful of jello. It just seems to slip away between your fingers. In fact, this idea of peace in the world has almost become a joke. Consider this scene from a movie that some of you have watched. Say, world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Thank you, Gracie Lee. And thank you, Stan. Cheryl Frazier from Rhode Island. You see how much of a joke the concept of world peace has really become. On September 30th, 1938, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Neville Chamberlain, flew into an airport just west of London with a piece of paper in his hands, an accord that had been signed by him and the Chancellor of Germany, 
Adolf Hitler. He drove to his residence at number 10 Downey Street, and he stood out in front of his residence, and these are the words that he said. My good friends, for the second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. In less than a year from when those words were uttered, Great Britain and the whole of Europe was engulfed in what we have come to know as World War II. And in fact, that promise of a nice, quiet sleep turned into nightly firebombing by German bombers where no one could stay at home in bed in London. They were all in the subway, in the tube, trying to hide from the bombs. World peace has been something that's been sung about. It's a desire of those who are religious and those who are non-religious. And there have been bold declarations such as that made by Chamberlain and short-lived promises made by newly sobered up parents. Peace is a beautiful promise that often goes unfulfilled. And yet, when Jesus was being prophesied to come in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the titles that he was given was Prince of Peace. Now, of course, the expectation on behalf of many of the Jews was that he would bring this peace by force. That he would go in with his armies, march in, defeat the Romans, and set up a new peaceful empire. But that is not what Jesus did. That was not the kind of peace that Jesus would bring. He did not come with armies. He did not come with ships. He did not come with weapons of war. And yet the peace that he brings is more sure, more certain, and more lasting than the peace of any promised by any parent, by any politician, or by any potentate anywhere. Paul writes of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, and he says this, get this, he himself is our peace. He himself, Jesus, is our peace. And we know, who are in the faith, we know that that peace was secured not with warships and armies, but that peace was secured on the cross where Jesus died to pay the price for your sins and for mine. But what does it mean that Jesus is our peace? It means at least three things. First of all, it means that through Jesus we have peace with God. You know the Bible says that before this that we were enemies of God. We don't think of ourselves that way, do we? But before we had, we had been chosen by God and we had chosen God, we were, we were his enemies. We were in the other camp, but we read in Romans chapter five, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access 
through him by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Through Jesus, we have peace with God. Peace became possible. Secondly, through Jesus, we have peace with God's family. Jesus said to his followers, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. One of our core values as a church is that love and community must permeate every aspect of church life. This should be a place where broken people come to find healing. Where hurting people come to find hope. And where everyone can come and be loved. Now, it's not that we want to leave you just like you are. We come just as we are. But God's got a greater plan for us. And that plan involves his people, the church who are part of the encourage and re- encouraging and refinement process that God has for us in our lives. We're not out riding on silver like the Lone Ranger. We need one another. And in the church, we learn how to love, how to, how to overcome our differences, how to forgive people, and how to receive forgiveness, how to overlook slights, and how to speak the truth in love. Jesus came to give us peace with God. He came to give us peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He also gave, came to give us peace internally, an internal, internal kind of peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. The greatest blessing that you could have is the assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ, not by your works, but by grace through faith. So that when you put your head on the pillow at night and your words hearken back to the prayer that maybe your mother or your father or your grandparents taught you, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You see, and I'm praying that not because it's dependent on me. Not because I had a good day, but because I have a Savior whom I've received by faith. And to have that confident assurance that no matter what happens, even if I don't wake up here, when I open my eyes, I will see the King of glory. There is no replacement for that. There's nothing else, nothing else that can bring that kind of peace. We'd all love to have it, but how do you get it? Here's the big thing. Okay, this is the big thing. All right, before you start thinking about where you're going to have lunch, before you start thinking about what your work schedule looks like Monday, before you slip your phone out and clandestinely check Facebook, here's the big thing. Okay, get this. Here it is. We will only know peace with God when we experience the grace and mercy of God. Say this with me. We will only know the peace with God 
when we experience the grace and mercy of God. One more time, we will only know peace with God when we experience the grace and mercy of God. Now, that's not something you have to memorize, but I tell you, if you, here's the takeaway. This is the big thing. If you miss this, you miss everything. You just go away and go, well, he showed a film clip today. This is it. When, you're, when, when friends ask you, hey, did you go to church? Yeah, what was the message about? Well, the message was this. You will only know peace with God when you experience the grace and mercy of God. And that gives you an open door then to begin to share with them about peace and grace and mercy. When Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, he uses these three words. And this is what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Isn't that beautiful? Christ Jesus, our hope. There's where my hope is. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Listen to what he says. This is the blessing that he pronounces on Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. If you're looking for a way to bless people, this is a great blessing to pronounce on them. When you go out and have lunch today and you just thank your wait person, your server, Maybe you would like to pronounce a blessing on them. May you know the grace, mercy, and peace of God through Jesus Christ. When was the last time you ever blessed someone in that way? Well, this is Paul's blessing on Timothy. This is what Paul Paul wants Timothy to experience. The grace, the mercy, and the peace of God. Now, of course, we all want peace. And we've already said that peace in this fallen world is a fragile commodity. But how can you have that peace when you put your head on the pillow at night? How can you have that peace when you go through the the storms and the trials and the turmoil that are sure to come? How can you know that peace? It only comes through the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And so... What I'd like to do this morning is to take a few minutes to talk about what grace and mercy are. Because these are key concepts and the whole issue of what it means to be saved. If you don't get grace and mercy, you've missed the core of what it means to be saved. And so let's consider that this morning. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with the messiah even though we were dead in our trespasses you are saved by grace both mercy and grace appear right here in this verse but i want you to notice something did you get this god who is rich rich filthy rich in mercy Mercy is a commodity which God has in infinite supply. Some of you, you have some money saved up, but you know that it isn't an infinite supply. Someday the money is going to run out. It's not going to be there. Some of you have, you look at your life, you say, I have nothing in infinite supply except maybe sarcasm. Maybe I've got enough of that. 
or, or maybe uh, misery or worry. I've got that in infinite supply. Well, what does God have an infinite supply of? He has an infinite supply of mercy. He will never run out of being merciful. His mercies are new every morning. What is mercy then? Mercy is the desire to come to uh, to the aid of one who's in trouble, accompanied by, get this, accompanied by the ability to meet that need. In other words, it's not just pity. Sometimes you feel bad for people, but you can't do anything for them. Mercy is not only having your heart tugged at the plight of someone who's lost, who's hurting, who's, who's, who's dead in their sins and trespasses. Mercy, then, is the capacity to come alongside and actually make a difference in that person's life to bring relief. This is an aspect of God's love for us. If you want to look at mercy in simple terms and a definition that's easy to understand, it is this. Mercy's not getting what you deserve. What does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us that we deserve. We deserve death and eternal separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. Mercy's not getting it. Mercy's not getting what we've earned. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. That would include all of us, by the way. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. What we deserved was exactly the opposite, but God was merciful. Jesus takes our punishment. We are set free. That's not fairness. That's mercy. Can I tell you a secret? I don't want a God who's fair. Because fairness would mean that because of my sin, I would spend eternity apart from him in hell. I want a God who's merciful, who looks at me with tenderness, who's paid the price for my sin, who gives me mercy. That's what I want. What about grace? We're saved by God's grace. And God, listen to this now. We know God is rich in mercy. But don't think that his bank account on the grace side is running low. God is just as rich in grace as he is in mercy. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to, what's that? Look at it. The riches of his grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, now you got you to get this. We do not have a stingy God when it comes to grace. We have a God who pours it out lavishly on all who would receive it. 
What does that mean, lavishly? That means he gives grace extravagantly. He gives grace without restraint. He gives grace to excess, even wastefully. God's got so much grace, he never has to worry about running out of grace. He can pour out grace not by the thimbleful, but by the 55-gallon barrelful. Grace after grace after grace after grace after grace, and his well never runs dry. It is just as full when he ends as when he begins. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in grace. And he pours it out extravagantly, lavishly on all of us who would receive it. So what is this grace that he pours out? What is this grace that he has in such abundant supply without reserve? Grace is God's free unearned, undeserved favor. Grace is given as a gift. And as every precious gift, it is to be received and cherished. We are saved by that grace. That is, Jesus did everything that was necessary for us to inherit his righteousness. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. This is the way the Bible puts it in, in Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the contrast? What we earn is death. What we are given is life. And there are some of you who have spent your entire lives trying to earn life trying to earn your way to heaven, trying to earn your salvation. If I just do this, God will be happy with me. If I just do this, God will shine his face down on me. And you put your head on the pillow at night, and there's absolutely no peace because you know that during the day you sinned. There's been these thoughts that have gone through these minds, your mind. There's been this, these words that you have shared that have been hurtful or gossip. There have been these actions that you've done that you know, that you know are not in accordance with God's will. They just don't line up. And so when you put your head on the pillow at night, you're worrying and fretting. God, if I were to die tonight, if this were to be it for me, if I did not wake up in the morning, God, I am not certain that I would have life with you in heaven. I'm not certain that I would go to live with you. In fact, I'm a little scared that I'd be, wake up in hell. Now, for an unbeliever, that's a legitimate fear. For someone who's in Christ, it's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Robs you of your peace. But see, if you don't understand grace, that God gives us what we don't deserve, which is a simplified definition, okay? If you don't understand grace, that God gives us what we don't deserve, and mercy, that God doesn't give us what we do deserve, then you cannot have peace. Grace and mercy precede peace. Without grace and mercy, there is no peace. If God were to hold us accountable for what we did, we should live our lives in abject fear, awaiting the day that we have to stand before him in judgment. But because we have received grace, 
because we have received mercy, we can boldly approach his throne accepted not on our own merit, but accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ. Standing in him, our righteousness, his righteousness. God gives us salvation full and free through Jesus. And that's not fairness either. It's grace. And what's even more amazing about God's grace? What's even more amazing about his mercy? Is that we don't just experience it for salvation once. And that's something that's just stored up for us later. We have a God who every day, every single hour, every moment is constantly dumping barrel after barrel after barrel after barrel of grace and mercy into your life. Doesn't that mean I should have a problem-free life? Doesn't that mean I I should face no challenges, that things should be easy from here on out? No. I really believe that you and I are going to be absolutely stunned and amazed when we finally do stand up before God the Father as, as we have entered in and, and when our, the blinders are off now and we don't see things as if looking through a foggy mirror, but we can see things clearly and we just get a chance to see how God's grace and mercy operated in our lives, those things that he spared us from, that he spared our children from, that he spared our grandchildren from, the way that he guided us from this decision to that decision, the way that he poured out good things into our lives over and over and over again, and we will be absolutely overwhelmed. We cannot really, can I tell you this? We cannot really understand the fullness of the grace and mercy of God until these blinders are off and we stand in his presence and then we say, oh God, I didn't even know you were there. I doubted you. I even, I even cursed you. My life was just collapsing around me. I looked and I couldn't find you and I just knew you'd abandoned me. I just knew you turned your back on me and walked away. God, I knew that. But we will be able to see that even in the midst of the greatest turmoil and strife and trials and pain that we endured, that God was there with us providing grace and mercy moment by moment by moment. It is something we can only receive only except by faith. But one day, one day we have the promise that our faith will be sight. And that which we had to hold to in the darkness will be revealed in the light. And we will see the fullness of his grace and mercy. And we will collapse before him in worship.
think with me for a moment. If we're spared the wrath of God because of his sacrificial work of Jesus, his son on the cross, and we're offered this free gift of salvation through Jesus that we receive by faith, why would we not embrace that? Why would we not receive that? Are we so certain that we can do it on our own? That we're willing to go that way? Are we so bold as to think that God is going to accept my measure of goodness when I stand in his presence? Do we really think that sin is not that big of a deal? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If God, who's filled to overflowing with mercy and grace, went to the extreme measure of sending his son to die on a cross to pay the price for sin, should we not seriously consider the crushing weight of that sin and the glorious relief from that weight that we receive by faith in Christ. We want peace. Peace when I put my head on the pillow. Peace when I walk through each day. Yes, we even want world peace. But the reason this world in which we live will never be at peace is because there are many who do not know the Prince of Peace. And there are many who do know him who don't live as if he's Lord. They want to declare him Lord, but live as if they themselves are Lord. Because of what Jesus did for us in the past on the cross, we have hope for the future and we have hope right now. Jesus is our hope. He is our only hope. He is Savior. He is Lord. And when we discover that, and when we are engulfed and consumed in His grace and mercy, then we will have what Scripture promises, a peace of God that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If you want an image of that kind of peace, then just imagine Jesus himself standing guard over your heart and your mind. It's a peace that problems and turmoil and strife cannot steal. It's a peace that heals broken relationships. It's a peace that means we can stand forgiven and free in the presence of Almighty God. It's a peace which means we're free to worship Him. It's a peace that means I can rest tonight. And unlike the promise of Neville Chamberlain to go home and have a nice, quiet sleep in the midst of the threats of war, even in the midst of war, I can put my head on the pillow in peace.
because I have a king who is in heaven. I have a life that is eternal. And I have grace and mercy that constantly flow into my life. Now, having heard all this, what do we do with this? How do we respond? There's some of you who've been trying to earn God's love and earn God's salvation for a long, long time. This morning, God invites you to receive it. To turn from your old life and to turn from Him. Some of you need to embrace that. Some of you need a church home, a church family, a place where you can come and connect, belong. A place where you can love and be loved. Not just be served, but serve. If God's leading you here, we'd love to join with you. But I'll tell you, for many of us, for many of us, we simply need to come and collapse in the presence of the Almighty God. And to just pour out our hearts in thanksgiving, the mercy and the grace that he's shown to us.